coming fresh off a trimester that culminated in a trip to Costa Rica with our Fit for Service Fellowship, I wanted to bring in our Fit for Service coaches, Kyle Kingsbury and Eric Godsey, to talk about the sacred or divine masculine, the theme of the next trimester, and give everybody a preview of what we're going to be exploring. This week's podcast is brought to you by 8sleep, 8sleep.com slash amp. It's brought to you by Vivo Barefoot, vivobarefoot.com slash amp, and by Onnit, onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off everything. So there's a lot of talk in the world about toxic masculinity, and toxic masculinity exists. Toxic femininity exists. Toxic masculinity is exhibited by men and by women, and divine masculinity is also exhibited by men and women. The concept of masculine is not relegated to any particular gender. It's an archetypal energy and an archetypal force. And the goal of this podcast was to explore what that means to each of us men, myself and Kyle and Eric, where we've understood that we've fallen short of those ideals, where we've exhibited some traits of the dark or the toxic masculine, and where we've also done our best to exemplify the highest articulation, which is what we mean when we say divine or sacred, the highest articulation of that masculine energy. So this is a great podcast, regardless of your gender, to really understand this energy that's so important to implement correctly and honorably into our own lives. Before we get started, though, a word from our sponsors. And our first sponsor is Eight Sleep. Now, I've had the privilege of getting a lot of different mattresses. And the advantage of that is I get to try out a lot of different mattresses. And the latest one that I'm going to talk to you guys about is Eight Sleep. Because not only is Eight Sleep a dope mattress, like some of the other mattresses that I've talked about, but Eight Sleep also weaves in temperature regulation. And this is something that is incredibly valuable because... When we sleep, we oftentimes will get hot, and as we get hot, that will often pull us out of our sleep rhythm, our natural sleep rhythm. I mean, normally we were sleeping on the ground, and the ground would get cooler as night fell, and as the ground got cooler, we would fall deeper and deeper into sleep, and then as the earth started to warm, we would warm back up. So you can go down to as cool as 55 degrees, or look, if you really want to warm up your mattress because you're in a cold place, it can get as hot as 110 degrees. So the temperature regulation in the 8 Sleep Pod Pro is really awesome, and it's been cool to check that out. So if that sounds like something interesting to you, I mean, there's some great research, 8 Sleep users falling asleep up to 32% faster, reducing sleep interruptions by 40%, getting more overall restful sleep. I mean, these are a lot of different survey metrics that they've been able to show just from users you know users who are actually doing this so i encourage you guys to check it out go to eightsleep.com slash amp that's e-i-g-h-t sleep.com slash amp check out the pod pro and you'll save 150 dollars at checkout using the promo code amp once again eightsleep.com slash amp to save 150 dollars at checkout with the promo code amp Next up, we have Vivo Barefoot, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys about this because I rock Vivo Barefoot shoes more than any shoe, period. Every time I'm in an airport, you see me rolling around in an airport, 
Look down on my feet. You're going to see me in Vivo barefoots. Even when I'm working out, I work out in the Vivo barefoot boots. And not all the time, but sometimes when I'm just out there doing, especially the kettlebells and different mace trainings and things. And I'll take a video and a lot of people will be talking about what I'm doing. Half the other people will be talking about my shoes because the shoes look dope. They like they look great when I'm out on the beach anywhere. I'm slipping on the Vivo barefoots. But why? All right, there's the style of the shoe. But also, they have the wide toe box. And this is something that I talked about in Own the Day. We're not supposed to cram our toes together into a giant flying V, like our toes were geese and we're headed fucking north to Canada. That's not the way we're supposed to design our shoes, but that's the way all shoes are. Look, I was a basketball player, so all my toes are all bent in, and now I'm starting to get toe pain. I'm getting toe pain in my big toe, toe pain in my little toe. It's not helpful. Our toes are meant to spread out, kind of like what they tell you to do on the yoga mat, you know, spread your toes out. And this will naturally allow your feet to start to recalibrate to a more normal state while still having a shoe that protects our little soft footsies from the ground. So foot strength is going to increase 60% in a matter of months. They've been able to do some research to show that. And it's just going to help you across the board with your health because when your feet are off, then your ankles are off, then your knees are off, then your hips are off, then your back is off, then your neck is off. I mean, it can lead to a whole different set of issues down your entire chain. And they got different shoes for hiking, cruising, chilling, walking around. All of those are great options and they're gonna start to anatomically support your feet. So if you can't tell, I'm a huge fan of Vivo Barefoot. You can get a 100-day free trial and 20% discount with code AMP at vivobarefoot.com v-i-v-o-b-a-r-e-f-o-o-t.com slash amp once again vivobarefoot.com slash amp for 20 percent off and a 100 day free trial and lastly we have on it and it is time for the semi-annual sale the second biggest sale of the year besides our black friday sale and shit's going crazy. Supplements 25% off, nutrition 20% off, fitness 10% off, apparel, accessories, and gear 20% off, digital 50% off, except for the new on it in 30 programs. Then there's doorbusters, Alpha Brain 90, 30% off, Alpha Brain 30 count, 30% off, Alpha Brain Instant Peach Tub, 40% off. Damn, that's a good deal. Our doorbusters, we went for like the top of the top right here, Ryan. Not fucking around right now. Alpha Brain Instant Box, 30 count, all flavors, 30% off. I mean, all of the best stuff that we have available at Onnit, all at the best discounts you're going to see, unless you feel like chilling and waiting until November. And it's going to be pretty much the same then <laughs> anyway. So it's not definitely not worth it to wait till November. The semi-annual sale is now. Go get it. It's the best thing that we got going on for the next six months. So check it out, onnit.com slash Aubrey as your portal into the semi-annual sale that's going on until May 16th. Onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Eric Godsey and Kyle Kingsbury. All right, I'm here with my two best friends, two men that I deeply admire. And we just came off a summit and a trimester for fit for service where we talked about the articulation of the feminine energy the sacred feminine the divine feminine and we're moving into the sacred masculine the divine masculine but you can't talk about that without talking about the immature masculine the shadow masculine the dark masculine all of the elements of the masculine so what we're here to do today is talk about 
the masculine energy. And I think it's important for everybody listening to know that masculine energy is not about whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. And we can talk about that because a lot of times you say, oh, he's a man. Well, what does that mean? You know, what are we really talking about? And what are we talking about when we say that? But really, that's not the point of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the masculine energy that all of us can cultivate. So I think the first thing to kind of discuss is really what the masculine energy is and then what the different expressions of that start to look like. So, you know, when we say divine masculine, we're talking about really the articulation of masculine energy in its highest expression. You know, like Plato had the idea of this idea of what it could look like in its purest in its purest form and that's ultimately what we're going to get to but really what we see in the world is occasionally some divine masculine but a lot of shadow masculine a lot of dark masculine energy and it's been a a deep challenge that the world has gone through for i don't know forever (laughs) at least as far back as you know we can remember history to a certain degree you know there was a there was a time i think when people lived a lot more in balance um, but I wasn't there, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was always like this. So when you guys look out at the world and uh, and just start to see, you know, what do you see in the masculine? And let's let's use that as a way to start to talk about these different expressions of the masculine energy. Yeah, the I think on the first level, because um, I do think that there's a couple of different levels to look at this from, <clears throat> and the biggest purview is like um how the masculine has been taught to us through what god is through christianity i think is probably the biggest um cultural force at least in our culture about what we're implicitly taught the masculine means and that masculine is a judge who dominates if you don't listen who punishes if you don't follow um or at least that's the way that it's found its way into our culture. And the masculine that I see the most, um, you know, there's either the political shadow masculine, and that's the one where it's essentially my power above all. And whatever I have to do to maintain my power, um, I'm gonna do it. And then there's the kind of like the entertainment masculine, and that's the masculine of, I'm the most attractive. I'm the most successful. Like both of these shadow masculines play under the game of uh, there's finite resources. I need the most and I will use whatever means necessary to acquire that. And then there's the like cultural shadow masculine, which feels like it's fundamentally, um, I'm the dominator of nature. I am the molder of nature. I don't have to listen to nature. I get to do what I want to acquire more. And, you know, I, we see the repercussions of that at the individual level, the family level, the cultural level, and the environmental level. Yeah, we form our gods in our own image in a certain way. Like, it's it's not vice versa. You know, it's like, man was formed in God's image. Nah, son. <laughs> gods were formed in man's image. You know, that's typically the way it Amen. works. Whether yeah. it was, we're talking about Zeus, or we're talking about Hercules, or we're talking about Jehovah, or we're talking about whatever. You know, we're really projecting 
what our beliefs are about yeah. divinity. And I think it's time for a, a radically new story that needs to emerge. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, just shadow. I'm thinking of uh, the expression we see. Rogan's talked about that. There, there's a lot of adults or, or children dressed up in adult meat suits. You know, and anybody can point, they talk about that in the very beginning of King Warrior, Magician Lover. The issue most people have with the king archetype or the warrior archetype is not that of the divine lighted side of that archetype. It's the fact that all we've seen throughout history is the shadow warrior and the shadow king. And we continue to see that, whether it's with our political leaders or uh, the military industrial complex or any of the, the ways we've seen this seeded into the shadow, we can point out, you know, what's wrong, but we generally as a culture associate that or have recently associated that with patriarchy and men in general. And that's where we get terms like toxic masculinity and in my opinion, utter nonsense because there's not a full understanding of what the masculine is and the light side of that and what we can aspire to be. Well, it's not that there isn't toxic masculinity. It's just that assuming that those that represent any masculine is inherently toxic by the nature of it being masculine or even more by the nature of it being a biological man, you know, oh, well, then of course it's toxic because it's part of the masculine and the masculine is always toxic. It's really negating and denying what the essential and necessary potential of this energy is whether you're a man or whether you're a woman and whether you're a man or you're a woman you can participate in the patriarchy you can participate in the toxic masculine you can participate in any of these different attributes and in many ways some of these attributes are lauded you know they're right. these things if we if you have the most power and you dominate the most and you're uh, you know above all else all of these expressions that you talked about a lot of people will be cheering because that's their that's their ideal of what it looks like, you know. And when you really start to understand what this energy can be and what it is, you know, what it is in its highest highest articulation, then you recognize, all right, there's another goal, there's another target, there's another aim, a higher aim yeah. that we're all looking for. Yeah, the thing that comes to mind is um, <clears throat> the documentary, the biggest little farm. Have have you guys seen that? Oh yeah, Kyle's watched it three times. It's <laughs> cried each time. <laughs> I think it's one of the most incredible pieces of art to represent what the positive or the sacred or divine masculine can be. Because essentially, what that shows is uh, they come to a land that has been rot and destroyed, and it needs the intervention of conscious beings with thumbs in order to bring it back to life. But it's not we come in and do what we want and that will fix it because what you'll see throughout that movie is when they try to do that at the beginning, it doesn't work. But if they come to the land and they listen to the land and then they use their ability to manifest different like structure on the land, the inherent femininity of the land is able to grow and then it grows and it grows and it brings the whole thing back to life. And that seems to be what the potential of culture could be because on one archetypical level nature is the feminine we can get into why that is the constant archetypical representation culture is the masculine and that um this idea that i've been playing with is like the highest expression of the masculine is when it's able to first it has to cultivate its ability to make change but then it has to learn how to listen to the feminine which ultimately that's culture being able to listen to nature and when you do that uh, you become generative. And that seems to be 
almost the core function of what the highest expression of the masculine can be inside of a human body is it, it gives life. It's the feminine that is the potential for life to come out of, but it's the masculine that can bring its energy to it. And then you get the beautiful ending of that movie that makes me cry every time too. Yeah, the uh, the generative aspects of the king archetype are something I think of. Yeah. And you know, as you were mentioning these shadow aspects in the book um, Quantum Spirituality by Dr. Amit Goswani, he talks about six archetypes that we all live out while we're here. And two of them always stand out to me because they particularly pertain to the world at large that we see right now. One is abundance, right? We all we all have to grapple with abundance on some level through Maslow's hierarchy just to survive. And abundance in its shadow form is one who will make money at the expense of others. Abundance in its light form is one who will acquire and make all those around him or her more wealthy in the process. Power is another archetype. And power at the expense of all else would be the shadow of that. Power that empowers all those around them right. would be the archetypical light side. And when we talk about the shadow, it's it's an interesting thing because the shadow is inherently something that is unseen. It's denying or negating an essential truth. And what the shadow is typically representing, it's a failure to acknowledge that state of inner being that Charles Eisenstein would talk about, right? This idea that I cannot dominate you without dominating myself because it's under the delusion that I am not you, that right. you are not me living a different life and that we are not absolutely interconnected same with nature i cannot dominate nature without dominating myself in this self-defeating cycle because i am nature like we are, are all interconnected and so that truth being in the shadow allows for the expression of the shadow masculine this is sociopathy right this is the belief that that when the ego goes completely unchecked it's like I am the only real thing. Everything else is a function. Nature is here to serve me. And again, this goes back to religious beliefs. Right. Everything is here in this land for me. You know, it's not this mutual relationship. These people mm. in sociopathy, these people are for me, whether you're a business leader, whether you're whatever, you could just say, oh, this is my employee that does this job, reduce them to a function. So who gives a shit if you fire them or who gives a shit if you yell at them, whatever. Their function is the only thing that's important and you're the only real one that's actually a real live human being. And with these truths in the shadow, then all kinds of horrors and atrocities can be played out upon the world without you even acknowledging and realizing what you're actually doing to your capital S self at yeah. large. Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind when I hear that is there's almost an aggressive nature to cultivating the ability to unflinchingly look at the parts of you that you feel are disgusting or that you feel are unsavory or if you feel are not fundamentally a part of you. And I think one of the biggest misunderstandings about the masculine is aggression and that um, and really what we call toxic masculinity are places we, where we are looking to expect masculinity, but we're seeing adolescence, we're seeing boyhood. And we equate that to equaling toxic mas masculinity. And the thing about aggression is if you haven't taken the time to be disciplined by hardship, your aggression is this... Um, it's almost this chaotic volcanic type thing that will lash out and has the ability to hurt people. But aggression is also the thing that can allow you to 
look directly at the part of you that wants to kill people or that wants to dominate people. And it's almost this type of like Jesus-like aggression where it's like, I'm going to look and I'm not going to look away. And I'm going to look until I soften. I'm going to look until that thing softens. And it's one of the ultimate delusions of the story of separation to believe that there's any aspect of the human condition that's not a part of you. And that we don't express the shadow as a shadow um, once we're able to have compassion and integration for these parts of us. And that does well, feel like Well, it brings like it to the light. Exactly. Right? Like the more you look at it, are the, our perception, our awareness is like a shining the light of a flashlight or a sun onto these shadows. And the longer we look, the more that penetrates. Like the deeper we look into someone's eyes and their soul, and the, the deeper we look, the more we see self, the more we see the same. And then that shadow slowly starts to evaporate until we can no longer abide by this separation. The more we look at nature and just sit and see what we're doing and see everything that's happening. You know, even if we watch a documentary like Sea Spiracy and we see what's happening to the ocean, all of a sudden the ocean isn't this abstract thing. We understand that the ocean is inexorably a part of all life and yeah. everything that we have. And so it changes our perspective about everything that we do. And that's the path to actually transcend the shadow aspects is to just stay and look and the discipline to do that is you know one of the the high attributes of what the masculine can do is just keep looking bring your awareness keep looking and don't stop looking until you really see one of the things that that uh, brings up is probably one of the biggest deficits in the current expression of masculinity is the acceptance of your emotions and that feels like it's a fundamental, like something most of us have been taught either explicitly or implicitly by our fathers, is any expression of emotion that they weren't taught by their fathers or their culture as being acceptable of being male, shame, guilt, repression, disassociation. And a function of the quote-unquote king energy is to not look away. And one of the deep invitations for men is like, when is the last time you cried? You know, it is a function of being a human to cry. Um, when is the last time that you allowed yourself to be vulnerable, where you actually admit even more challengingly to a woman that whose opinion about you you care about, where, you know, you admit, like, I don't feel like I'm enough, or I don't feel like I did a good job, or I don't feel like, I don't feel loved by you today, you know? And that it's almost like the first key into this whole dance is cultivating the aggressive compassion to look, you know, and then can you begin to feel all the shit that most of the men and most of the women in our culture have not allowed themselves to feel since that first time they were four and their parent gave them a aggressive look because they were crying when they were at the movies or something, you know? And the word you're using as, you know, aggressive, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz would use the word ruthless. Yeah. Like he talks about ruthless right. self-love, ruthless compassion. Like you just, it's, it's, has such force and such denial of all other possibilities. It's just like, you're going to ruthlessly look at these things. You're going to ruthlessly love. You're going to do this in a way. And uh, so I absolutely understand, uh, understand what you mean by that because it is, 
it is an aspect of being that conscious warrior the warrior of light if you will like the one warrior of light the one that's bringing the light of your awareness to something and ruthlessly looking at it for as long as it takes you know i mean that is a that is the deep aspect and if you do that you know the tears will come because 100%. the tears for me it seems to be like the tears wash away when a frame of reference has to die yes and it's like it's like it it's actually turns this frame that we have this construct we have all of a sudden it just materializes physically into salty tears wow. that flow down from our heart and over our face and it's wiping the slate clean like the etch-a-sketch of our psychic construct just washing away and now we can rebuild something and something else can emerge from that you know and if we look at anything right. for long enough that'll be the case because we're all somewhat in the shadow we all have delusions 100 percent I could not resonate with that more, man. I, I love that articulation. The thing that that brings up for me is like, uh, we experience daily deaths. And most of the deaths that we experience are deaths of either our own delusions, which we all carry a fucking infinite amount of delusions, or the death of like micro futures that we may have even unconsciously created based off of where we thought our career was going or where we thought a relationship was going, where we thought our health was going. And I love how you articulated that it's almost like the glass of the lens dissolves into tears and it's trying to come out of your body. And one of the really interesting things that I've learned about um, complex PTSD or like childhood trauma is <clears throat> The way it was explained to me by one therapist is every time in your life where the genuine truth of your animal body was to express an emotion and you did not express that emotion, gunk is building. And the more that gunk builds, the more it basically taxes your immune system. And that most of us, we have decades of tears, decades of laughter, decades of grief and sorrow and anger that need a place to be expressed. And this is one of the things that we have found in the men's group that we're a part of is that if you get a group of men together and, the, and even one allows themselves to be vulnerable and to express an emotion, you get the opportunity for a group of men to howl with laughter in a way that they haven't done in a decade or to weep and to hold each other in a way that they haven't maybe in their entire life. Like one of the things that happened is we did that um, technique where half the people closed their eyes and the other people came up and hugged them. Um, and we just had to hold in a hug for like five or six minutes. And I could feel that I had never been held like that by my father, ever. I'd, I never, I, my nervous system did not know what it felt like to be embraced by a father uh, who was just there to hold. And it was because my father's father beat him. I don't think my father's father ever touched him lovingly. You know, and I think that that's probably something that's a huge part of the shadow masculine is that men are terrified of other men and that it's it's repressed. And so there's this like, I, I have to get so strong that I never have to be vulnerable in the presence of another man. Honestly, if it, you know, Kyle, you've been a huge teacher for me in that because you express in such a warm and loving way I mean, and you can kill us exactly you can drown us in the pool if we're pool wrestling <laughs> with a laugh or wherever we understand that but you know 
I don't think I've ever had that kind of intimacy in a in a male expression since we started to become friends. And at first it was, you know, just those those hugs, those hugs that are like every bit of who you are is expressing through that and and you really feel it. I mean, I I would always hug people, but even if I physically did it, even if my arms you know, weren't awkward and, and I could actually understand how to do it. It's like hugging a girl, but it's just at the guy. <laughs> but, but, my, but my emotions, my I, some part of me was holding back. Your heart wasn't in the room. Yeah, exactly. Away. Like I was, some part of me was holding back because it was like, yeah, this shit isn't safe, you know? Yeah. But then in our friendship, that's really been a big teacher for me where it's like, all right, like I can trust this. You know, I can trust this this level of trust with another human being knowing that they could strangle me but they're not going to and i can i can really trust it so you know it's been a huge a huge thing for me and so when we went through that in the men's group it wasn't that impactful for me but i think only because of our you know four years of friendship where that's on the regular that we'll do that i mean we we hold hands we kiss on the mouth when we say hi you know people are like i'm sure people listen like oh man these fucking guys fucking cucks i knew it the whole time (laughs) (laughs) but it's not it you know it's just like i think it's this weird conflation of fear of aggression and rampant homophobia (laughs) you know that's just preventing men from being able to just be with each other yeah that's a, a it's a full expression of emotion you know, I think what you guys are speaking to is the over over intellectual, over mental level that we find our culture in. And you can point to anything, you know, I've talked, I think on your podcast before about, you know, the the military style of suck it up pussy and things like that. And there's a right right time and place for that, I guess, you know, in sport and and certainly in war and things of that nature. But if the emotional body is the feminine aspect. And the intellect is the masculine aspect. The bridging of those two and integration is emotional intelligence. And it's almost like we're stuck in this Spock archetype, you know, this emotionless brainiac Mm -hmm. that can figure everything out, right? And that becomes a shadow aspect of the masculine because we haven't integrated fully the feminine. And the way we see that expressed is through rage that aims to destroy and unclean anger that aims to hurt and and with blame and resentment you know we see that all over social media we see that you know even among our polit- amongst our politicians and we see it in the way that people talk to one another you know and and um the way through that is in the integration of the masculine and feminine it's in the integration of being able to feel those emotions to look at them to focus ruthlessly on them and to allow those to express cleanly so then we can hug each other and it's not fucking weird you know because we're both too yoked handsome dudes you yeah. know like there's nothing <laughs> weird about it you know like yeah. the only thing that's weird is when you hug somebody and you can sense once you can feel and legitimately give yourself to another person through any form of touch and you sense the eh, eh, the awkwardness right like that i want to hold people through that you know like 100%. it's okay i'm gonna not let you go for a little while till <laughs> yeah. you get it you know and yeah. and that's that's an it's an important thing to come to that because not only have we seen all of the incredible numbers of suicide and alcoholism and and domestic violence increase since quarantine started, but we weren't doing it right before quarantine and lockdown started. You know, we weren't holding each other in a way that we might have, you know, a thousand years ago, and maybe, maybe not, maybe all societies have had this patriarchy and maybe all societies have, have tackled or brushed up against the same things that we are right now. 
but certainly in tribal settings, people knew how to touch. Yeah. You know, and it's not the overhype, you know, one versus the other, but there were cultures that lived in harmony with nature. There were yeah. cultures that understood that there are the barriers didn't exist, you know, between man to man, woman to woman, woman to man. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is worth articulating about like because the healing that you've done with Aubrey, you've done with me too. And it's not a, I have to teach you this healing. It's I am being and you are feeling. And I think one of the key aspects of it is that, you know, there's this idea of space holding and that that on some level feels fundamentally masculine. And what I see and feel is you've done the work to calm your nervous system to a degree that the simple presence of your nervous system calms other nervous systems. And one of the things to connect to is most of the people in Western culture are absolutely fundamentally terrified of death, of nature, of other humans, because they're not embodied. They don't know how to protect themselves. If things got even a little bit weird, they have no patterns of action to bring order. And you are someone that you can literally kill everyone in this room right now if you wanted to. And with that comes this sense of just fucking peace in your body. That like, when you hug me, I feel safe. And it somehow makes me feel stronger too. And it feels like one of the fundamental aspects of um, sacred masculinity in this time is Put yourself through some type of rigorous physical discipline to bring calm to your body so that you can transmit it through simply being. Yeah, it's uh, bringing up that Spock archetype that's really interesting because you can imagine that he gives terrible hugs. (laughs) Like Nobody's like, man, Spock, that was a great hug. And he actually gives a massage and it's a Vulcan death grip, you know, like, <laughs> that's like, you can't even like, he doesn't even massage. You just, he just knocks you unconscious by touching your fucking trap slip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's this very interesting thing that we've, that we've put up on a pedestal in some ways of like the ultimate my, he's the ultimate number two. That's what you really want in your fucking corner, you know? And of course, yeah, he was quite effective on the enterprise as his function. If we're being sociopathic and whatever, like uh, he had a great function as like this kind of outsourced computer, always figuring out odds and shit. But that's not a, that's not the full expression of the masculine. And you can also see it too. It's not even just the big, like rigorous physical challenge. Cause you could imagine someone like, look at the Bruce Willis diehard archetype, right? Like, Dude's been through a lot. His shoulder pops out. He can fucking slam it into the side of a car and put it back into place. But is he, all of the bad shit that happens, is he sitting down and weeping? Is he grieving at the river for the loss of every one of his partners? I think that's the motif in the thing that all of his people he loves get killed. No, he just goes out and starts killing more and has like some flippant response, you know, about some badass superhero response about after he fucking kill someone right you know or like the all of these like action heroes it's the absence of feeling and it's the absence of of emoting and the absence of grieving that we're kind of putting on this pedestal so it's it's very confusing because we mold ourselves after these stories that we have and we don't have a lot of the stories of the masculine embodied in a really healthy way 
And for that to happen, of course, it has to be balanced. Like we love shifting things in one side or the other to the polarity, but to be a healthy masculine, you have to embrace your feminine side. Right. So if if we could, let's go around, let's do a little round table. Let's first talk about feminine. Let's talk about the feminine uh, archetype and the nature. And then let's move into different aspects of the masculine. We'll just go around until we run out of uh, uh, things that we want to bring up. So let's talk about the feminine, and then we're going to get to the masculine. So go ahead first. What's a what's an aspect of feminine? Eric? Yeah. So um, Jung has this. Uh, he calls it the four types, and it's essentially the four different ways our consciousness can even interact with experience, and it's thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuition, and. Um, for me, the one that is most feminine is intuition. And intuition comes into our life, you know, and it's it's basically all the shit I'm obsessed with, but it's like dreams. Like being able to intuit the meaning of your dreams feels fundamentally feminine. Um, being able to feel that part of your experience that is not thought, it's not even emotion and it's not sensation, it's this weird inner knowing. And then being able to move from that um, and a part of learning how to listen to your intuition is the art of surrender. And I think surrender is one of the deepest uh, gifts of the feminine. And there's a lot of really great like mythological stories that highlight that. But I think the one that's the best is uh, Inanna. Um, and essentially she went to try to save her husband who had died by going into the underworld. And in order for her to go into the underworld, she had to pass through seven gates. And at each gate, she had to give an offering to the gatekeeper to get through it. And so first she gave her crown, then she gave her robes, then she gave her rings. And by the time she got to the last gate, in order to go to the underworld to rescue her husband, she had to give up her body. And she did that for love. And she was able to fully surrender into you know the all. And so intuition and that the way to connect to intuition is actually for the ego to learn how to surrender. That's probably the biggest one for me. Mm, well said. What's another one, Kyle? I was just talking, pulled from the Divine Feminine Oracle deck. Uh, Tosh pulled this actually, the the cosmic egg. You know, and this cosmic egg is is representative of, I think they talked about it in the Rig Veda, but the the original birthplace of all things. You know, if you think about the the pregnant void of darkness before matter, before material, before consciousness exists, infinite possibility, infinite probability, where the pure potentiality of all creation exists, where all things come from, even now in real time. I'm not talking like pre-Big Bang or any of that stuff. Um, that always exists inherently as a layer of consciousness within ourselves and within everything we see. It's the the feminine aspect of birthing ideas, of of the muse of creativity, the, that first inkling of something that needs to come to fruition. You know, the, it's the plane that we tap into for all creation. You know, where you think about, remember Don Miguel Ruiz talking about the agreements we have on stop on red, go on green. These are all just symbols that we agree to. But before anything is made manifest in this world, it all comes from that cosmic egg. It all comes from the, the same birthplace. And that creativity center of the feminine, I think, is something that sticks out to me. Mm is also the the separation between matter and spirit you know and and there's traditionally the idea and i really resonate with this idea that all matter itself is inherently feminine by nature why do we call it mother earth well we give it that name because it is 
part of this aspect of the feminine the the thing that has been birthed in the physical right like we've come out and oftentimes we think of ourselves as separate from mother earth nah earth created us Mm -hmm. like this this powerful goddess created us out of all of recycled wolf's teeth and hummingbird feathers and mango peels <laughs> yeah. and fucking air and water and and fish and trees and and plants and animals of all varieties right like we are actually a part of the earth so our physical body is part of the mother right and so we'll think like oh no i'm a man i'm not i'm not the mother no you're the mother with a dick like you have balls and a dick it's great i love mine but like i'm still it's still we're still a part of the the great capital w woman that is creation itself when i was in an ayahuasca journey i uh connected with what felt like source father and this this force was i mean it was an amazingly powerful encounter and i was blown away by it but at the end of our little encounter he said and it was a masculine energy of just this source life life force itself non-material it said let me tell you the greatest love story ever told and just showed me the whole earth and showed me how like spirit had woven in the force that animates life was inside all of the cells but the cells were the chalice the container the womb that which spirit the masculine aspect impregnated that womb of every cell with energy with atomic motion with movement but the matter itself what it actually was this was the woman and so the love story was spirit and matter and and he didn't the 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 voice didn't say anything else it said let me let me tell you the greatest love story ever told and it was just god energy impregnate and and being a part of all matter all life all inanimate life even the rocks and the and the dirt and the minerals and and every different aspect but it was all woven in together and so it is essential to understand that you know we have to embrace both of these all of these aspects that we talked about in order to actually articulate the masculine so we've done it a little bit but let's go around one more time around the table and then talk about you know the masculine in particular um potentially is contrasted with the feminine because you almost need to if you're creating this kind of model you need to have the comparison and contrasting yeah i think um i think my intuition is that we're all going to give kind of similar uh answers because it feels like like what kyle talked about the source of that creative energy arises in consciousness first as um inspiration and, and for my answer, if you get intuition, the masculine next part of that is, okay, now how do I bring that into the world? And the one that I find most resonant that for me feels like me being in my masculine the most is how do I create beautiful order that serves the feminine impulse to then come into the world? And that feels like that's the function of the father to the pregnant wife or mother uh that that's the function of like how you manifest but for me it's how do i create beautiful order in this world and the primary way through which we create order in this chaos is articulation like words spells it's magic 
And so how can I use symbols and language and my fucking thumbs to create a container through which that intuition can find its way into the world? Yeah, I love that. I just think um, <clears throat> on, a, on a base level, it's action. It's right action. It's, it's taking, you know, the intuition, the muse, the guidepost to be inspired is to be in spirit and taking that into the 3d, it comes through action, right action. And that, that varies, uh, in, in the approach, but it's, you know, it's chop wood, carry water. It's doing the thing. It's in the act of doing a feminine is being masculine is doing, and these can be harmonized. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot about the necessary the necessity for more being and less doing or the right action of doing, but not overdoing. And uh, all of those are prominent, but at the end of the day, it is doing, you know, when we sit in ceremony with mother ayahuasca, the feminine aspect of listening is necessary for us to receive all that we're going to receive. If I'm writing or talking to my neighbor about the experience, that's a masculine expression. I'm no longer listening. I'm no longer receiving. Right? So the, the ability to take that experience and instead of having some dope memory in the Amazon, actually using it to change my life requires me doing something with it. It requires me first speaking that into existence as Tim Corcoran does through mirroring and Bill Plotkin and writing and journaling it down so it, it exists here somewhere in the physical realms. And then from there, action steps that actually start to change the way I live my life and express my life through words and interactions and relationships. Mm. Yeah, well said. I think one fundamental aspect is choice itself, right? Because this aspect of choice, like you can imagine, you know, a pure articulation of the feminine. Think of our, our insect relatives, right? They don't have a lot of choice. They are so guided by like, like the cockroaches and like, eh, cleaning up trash today and nah, not into it. Flies like, <laughs> ah, uh, yeah, shit, I'm over it. You know, like, I'm just going to focus on the things that I want. You know, like, there's no choice at that level. I mean, they're just purely a part of the godhead of Mother Earth itself. And it's just, they're acting completely from their knowing. And then you get up to the higher articulations of animals, you start to see some choice. And these are the animals that we really like. You can start to see it in our in our birds and in our, certainly in our mammals. You know, we can see where there's choices that dogs can make, and that's why we get frustrated sometimes because we actually believe that they have a choice, but how much choice do they have or whatever? Well, human beings are at the farthest end of the spectrum. Of course, dolphins seem to have more, even more choice. They play. Anything that plays is obviously has a choice, right? Because play is a choice in, in, in some level. I mean, I suppose you could say, oh, it's all training and practicing and it's all woven in, but you start to see choice right. the, the higher you go up in the in the development of animals, certainly in the monkey world, and then absolutely in the human world, while certain you know neuroscientists might debate choice at large, I believe it's a fundamental reason What's why. Up, Sam Harris? Yeah, a fundamental reason why this whole thing was created was the ability for us to choose and and make these choices. So, the act of choice, the sacred act of choice, is something that is inherently an aspect of the masculine, and that includes discernment you know what do i want what do i want what do i not want you know what what should I, what should, what do i want to do and this this thing is um it's very important and it goes speaks to boundaries it speaks to like okay this is not for me i choose not to do this i choose to honor my my own sacred no and say uh-uh 
I'm not interested. I don't want to go to this party. I don't want to go to this wedding. I don't want to do this thing. I actually don't feel like this relationship is healthy anymore, even if it's your family or whoever. It's discernment. It's boundary. And then it's also the sacred yes. Like, fuck yeah, I'm in. Like, let's go. Let's do this. Let's build this thing together. You want to build this house? You want to build this company? You want to build this? I'm in it with you. Oh, you want to go in this ice bath? Cool. Let's go. I'm I'm going to do it. You want to do this workout? You want to? So that choice element is something that's really important in a healthy masculine is the ability to listen, listen to everything that's coming up and understand why you're choosing. But then sometimes it's just choice. What do you want? Because a lot of times like there's, you know, we we get a lot of these questions. I'm sure all of us, it's like, what should I do? And it's like that there's <laughs> one right answer, you know, and and really sometimes there is, sometimes there is one that that is clearly the better of the two options. It certainly appears but sometimes it's just like, what do you want to do, man? Do you want to live in fucking Miami or do you want to live in Austin? Like, what do you want? It's not like there's an ordained right answer. You know, right. it's like, what do you choose? Do you like the beach or do you like the the yep. vibes here or whatever, whatever your choice is? And I think people have given away this power of choice to such a degree. And I think a lot of the aspects of the toxicity in our world is people denying other people's choices you know based on their oppression based on their financial motives based on their own fears based on all of these other things but really honoring our own individual choice and then also protecting the ability for other people to choose even if it's a choice that we don't agree with as long as that choice isn't harming somebody else or harming the greater collective right like that to me feels like the only bound on the whole game is protect choice at all cost except when that choice directly impinges on another sentient being's choice including you know the earth's choice right you know ultimately and what comes up for me when i hear all three of our answers is like there's such deep wisdom in myths and the older the myth it tends to be the deeper the wisdom and one of the eternal mythical stories is this idea of the eternal boy and the, and the most recent echo of that myth is Peter Pan. And the eternal boy is someone who decides to not decide on anything so he can believe that he is free to do anything. But the really interesting thing about being time bound in a body that will eventually be eaten by time is that if you don't choose anything and you try to be free and open to everything, you become nothing. And that the etymology of decide is to cut away, it's to kill. And that there's something fundamentally masculine about, like it's scary, but in order to choose to actually act in any specific way, you kill off the infinite potentials that could have been, but if you don't pick anything, you become nothing. And Peter Pan's story is actually a warning about how not to be. And I think that that moves into a really interesting- I think they could have told that warning a little better, because all I remember is, fucking cruising around with tiger lily and flying and fucking up captain hook and like i don't know it seemed pretty rad to me they need to like they play that it, out a little deeper they tell deeper. it in hook better than the original they definitely do tell it in, in hook a little better where it starts to get a little sad because mm-hmm. in the animated i'm like dude he's hanging out with the indigenous people he's got a princess he's fucking around with mermaids and he's fucking up captain hook on the regular and mermaids is all getting his ass kicked <laughs> and mermaids all day and the interesting thing about that is that the peter pan disney version was uh made for children 
and hook was a little bit more mature and it was like it was ready to tell that message of like when you're eight this is perfect mm. when you're 30 this is tragic and this gets into the next question or the or the next insight that's really interesting but every coaching call i've ever had where someone says at the beginning i don't know what to do literally 100 percent of the time by the end of the phone call what we have found out is they knew what to do before the phone call started really what they were saying is i'm afraid i want permission and then by the end of the phone call it was them laughing at the fact that they already knew and this gets to a deeper more interesting point which is that and this is something that you and I have talked about a lot, but it feels like you play with choice enough to get to the point where you realize that the ultimate, like to be a rainmaker or to be in your dharma is you get to a point where you lay down choice to your soul or you, you, you make the choice to surrender choice to your soul and you become the servant or the midwife to that thing inside of you that has something for you. And then the constant choice from that point on is, do you surrender? Do you surrender? But what's really interesting is, and I think that this is a function of spiritual bypassing, is you can't start that game until you've played with choice so much that your ego feels like, okay, like I could fucking do this if I wanted to do this because to surrender choice to soul is, the most terrifying fucking game that you can possibly play because very likely every goal that your ego has ever tried to achieve you're gonna have to give all that shit up and there's this weird feeling that i've gotten in my life that the more that i surrender my my ego's choicing to surrendering to soul the more grace i experience but there's still a new game of choice and the choice is always will you choose to surrender to what soul is asking or will you choose to use a coping pattern to not hear it? And that's just yeah. an interesting thing to offer. Into it's the, also, I mean, this is also the cultivation of a skill because sometimes you have to get really still and really quiet to listen to those whispers. And sometimes the whispers, you can get really all the way down and it's like, whatever you want. And then it goes back to choice. Occasionally, the soul will, the soul will push back to you and be like, either way, bro or sis whatever like either way whatever you want and then there is sometimes and and most of the time you're right like most of the time people know but i've had actually even recently a couple coaching calls with the fit for service uh team and we've had some nice intimate calls which has been great but it was actually a decision about where to move one person had this and we went through this whole process and they took deep breaths and this is one pra practice that i have that i really like you know, you take, uh, you know, my favorite thing, six deep breaths, and then you ask yourself, what is true? What is true? What is true? And then you go through it. And then in this, you know, most recent encounter of this, they started laughing and, and the, they heard the whisper and the whisper was clear. And the whisper was, whatever you want. Heard, yeah. Whatever you want. And there are some of those times where the soul has no preference, you know, that there's lessons to be learned in both sides and there's no strong drive for either one and then you you get it pushed back but ultimately that is still surrendering to the whisper and then the whisper passing the ball back to the to the ego being like figure it out <laughs> you know like yeah. i don't care whatever whatever you want to do so but but the the difficulty and the skill to learn is how you listen 
and at least wait until the ball gets passed back to you to be you know to choose yeah you know and i think that's for me that's that dance that i'm you know you can just try and get better and better at that because it's so easy to forget i mean even a little decision of should i have another drink you know like there's some way that you can always ask that question and sometimes it's like eh, whatever you want right. and sometimes it's like nah and sometimes it's like yeah go for it for whatever reason like you can you can listen and then you'll get much much clearer guidance and also be mindful and be mindful of the way that the ego can hijack 100%. that voice and pretend to be the whisper 100%. when it's just the ego being like oh if i lower my voice you'll believe me you'll believe me because it sounds like the soul yeah i think what you guys are speaking to is the old the old thought form around my will versus thy will you know and it's a conversation that i've i've been chatting with you guys about a lot over the last year um i think the key distinction to make between that what we had previously thought about or maybe been taught about through religion when it comes to this is you're not asking god outside yourself you're asking god within yourself because as selig says all is all is of or nothing is and it's the god in you the high self in you the soul whatever aspect you want to call that that you're teaching yourself to surrender to and that allows you to follow your dharma and sometimes the dharma has no preference sometimes the dharma knows better than you do which path you're going to take and the why behind it. And that just gets revealed in the ongoing of the decisions you make. But it's it's learning to listen to that inside, not outside yourself, that allows one to step into who they are becoming. That's a great point. And that brings up for me, to bring this back to the masculine, it's that like the oldest motif in the, in the mythologies that had kings and queens is that a king or queen that was operating and ruling the kingdom or the queendom under my will, the land around this, the kingdom dies or disease comes in. Like these weird, almost anti-rainmaker effects begin to happen. And then a king or queen that runs or rules the queendom or the kingdom through thy will, where the king or the queen is actually a bridge to a spirit. They get blessed, they get crops, and that seems to be like the the ultimate aim of the divine masculine energy or at least one of the aims it's like how do i become competent enough as a force in the world where i can actually manifest what spirit wants or what soul wants or what the feminine knowing wants but no matter how good my connection is to that thing if i haven't cultivated my competence in enacting change in the world i can't manifest soul you know there's uh, stories that I that I used to read in the histories of China in the when China had emperors and this was a highly dysfunctional situation because the emperors were given this divine ordainment and with that they had no actual clear reflections from any advisors or anybody this wasn't king arthur at the round table this was someone sitting up so far and high above nobody could even make eye contact with them that level and so the court advisors realized that they had to share when the emperor was making decisions that was not you know in the favor of the people was not helping the land but they realized that if they said hey the people aren't happy or hey you know the emperor might kill the people if they or kill the messenger right so they developed these interesting ways in which they would say, um, it was reported to us that we found the geese flying backwards 
today across the sky wow. and and they would so they would create all of these fictitious omens that wow. were happening to let the emperor know like hey man you're out of order with this but i can't tell you the truth because you might kill me but if i tell you that the geese are flying backwards you'll recognize that something is wrong in the divine order wow. of the land itself and so you'll read the histories the, the histories of these chinese emperors and you'll hear all of these things and wow. then the geese were flying backwards and then the you know the whatever the the toads were um avoiding the water the yeah exactly like whatever whatever fucking weird thing they could think about right. they would try to express right. but it was this this funny thing so it's almost like they knew they knew the principle that that nature would act in a strange way right. if if they were out of order but they couldn't hear the fact that it might have been the people that did it or they couldn't bear to hear that a messenger did it so there was just like it was very interesting how they had to play that dance. That's interesting too, because you know all of the the ancient texts are written in parable and in allegory, and so now you have to apply the same language when speaking to the the divine being that's sitting on the throne. Yeah. Like you have to talk to them the way the Bible talks to us. <laughs> yeah. And what fucking gives me goosebumps is if you take a moment to feel into. You can create a situation where you create the most inflated ego possible which is this person is born into being told that they are a god. Their ego is as far away from soul as it can possibly be. But there's something about the power of that symbolic knowing. Like it's so deep in us that the geese flying backwards was a strong enough message to that most inflated ego to be like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and there's something about that to me that just like, screams about the power of myth and the power of symbol that like it just get like i want to scream like there's something about that story that's so incredibly illuminating about the power of myth and about the power of symbol that it could even pierce the ego of a god king yeah you know of like a fucking xerxes yeah so let's transition here let's talk about some of the ways in which we've failed to express in the highest form of our own masculine in our life and then we'll go around again and talk about some of the ways we feel like we've you know articulated this in a in a powerful way and maybe what we're working on too but let's start with uh going around talking about some of the ways in which we've we've come up a little short in uh in this ideal yeah so uh the one that's really alive in me is the one that I'm the most uncomfortable to share. So we're going to fucking do it. Um, something that ayahuasca showed me very viscerally the last time that I did ayahuasca. And I guess it's worth saying, you know, potential trigger warning if you've had sexual assault or anything like that. But one of the things that she showed me was like the rapid, the just raging, uh, sexual trauma that has been perpetrated by the shadow masculine onto the feminine at the individual level at the cultural level and uh it's taken me weeks to begin to really integrate just how heavy this experience was but one of the things that i can feel that is just incredibly heavy and it was it was highlighted by the fact that i went on a camping trip this past weekend where i got completely out of the city um and there were beautiful women there and i could feel just by being in nature and not being around the pings of culture that my intuition was i could appreciate them as entities and not like 
micro glance at the way their hips curve or the way their ass curves or what their breasts look like or their lips. And I think if any man is who's listening to this, if they can really get still and track their own awareness, every time I see a female body that's anywhere within the parameter of being a potential sexual mate, that's the first thing that happens in my consciousness. And once I came back from camping and I got back into the city, it felt visceral, like, oh my God, I'm doing it again. Where my very first registering of the female body is as a potential sexual mate. And um, one of the things that I really connected to, and I think this is me slowly processing and digesting what ayahuasca showed me was my first 10 years of experienced sexual energy was through porn. And I think that almost most porn, like 90 something percent of porn, your nervous system is witnessing a traumatized female nervous system receiving traumatic energy from a male nervous system and that your nervous system begins to be conditioned to find that arousing. And do you wait now this is a place where i have to bring yeah. up a conversation because this is this kind of nature versus nurture place now i of i it seems to be that there is a inherent eroticism to the degradation of the feminine and to the dominance and to sadism in general and i say this not only looking at the humans but there seems to be a delight when a cat has a mouse that's squealing and dying and they're playing with it and they're not killing it and they're just enjoying the process there seems to be a pleasure that the orcas get when they flip the seals up into the air it's like oh it's just training i mean these orcas they can fucking hit a great white take the liver and leave it floating like they're gangsters they don't need to do this to the seal but they do because there's some kind of inherent eroticism to this and this is not to excuse it this is just to say that there it seems to me that this is not only conditioned but there is an inherent natural eroticism to this absolutely dark the darkest impulse possible and yes it can be further conditioned and of course in war cultures Mm -hmm. of antiquity where they would go on a raid part of the spoils of war was rape and you see other people raping and then you become you know a part of this rape and pillage kind of mindset it's there and i'm sure that's conditioned and i'm sure there's some trauma associated with it but even in healthy super healthy loving you know containers containers that i've been in with with spouses and with with partners that it's just all love and will engage in the eroticism of defilement you know and and then of course hug and kiss and laugh and make popcorn and watch a sweet movie and it's all in this healthy way but there's there's something there beyond conditioning right right that is deeply like it's just there and this is something that's very difficult to grapple with because it's it's fucking there it seems to me at least yeah so i receive that and i agree with that and i think that there's important nuances here um it's also a part of our innate nature that like uh if we're destroying an enemy and we're fucking killing them there is a part of our animal body that's like i fucking love this and i think anyone who's fought especially as a teenager like if you fucking don't like that kid and you're kicking his ass in front of 10 people there's a part of you that like i fucking love this and so i do agree with you that that is an innate part but i'll just speak from my experience 
that was the first um, introduction to sexual energy. I had no elders, sure. I had no adults, I had no initiation into what it looked like in a healthy expression. Um, I knew no one around me, specifically in my family, where we could even talk about sexual energy, where th there was no display of it. So with a complete lack of context, that was the only thing that I was shown. And then I think that um, that, like, I didn't know how to be with a woman until doing plant medicines enough where I could, you know, really connect to like the feminine in me and then really learn to listen. And um, one of the things that I do want to highlight that I think is incredibly important is there is so much pleasure and bliss that can happen between two consensual, two consenting conscious partners to go all the way into that shit. And I've done that and I've, I can feel that I love it. The thing that feels um, out of alignment is when my default operating through the world is adolescent boy in the sense that I can feel that from a place of addiction is how it feels in me. Mm -hmm. My the very first way that I receive a feminine body is to fuck or not to fuck. That is, a, you know, like that's my Shakespearean <laughs> that <the> question. question. <laughs> and that I'm not creating, like I'm not shaming myself for it, but I'm tracking it now. Sure. And I can fucking feel it. And I guess where I was or why I'm even bringing this up is not that I feel uh, out of alignment with it currently. Like it's not like a big thing. But it seems to be, it's the thing that ayahuasca has shown me. This is the next big thing for you to look at. And I I, I can feel how big of a thing it is. And that um, I can feel that I still feed that energy in me. And that I still at times consciously and unconsciously give my attention to females in a way that actually feeds that energy in them. Where I can see that they're not at a at a point in their developmental work where they're consciously choosing to embody this energy. They're seeking to embody this energy so that they will be chosen by somebody. Because I do know women who have done enough of the spiritual work where they own that shit consciously. And it's so fucking sexy. Mm -hmm. But that's a different thing than, and so my, my very long-winded answer to this is um, when I consciously feed that trauma energy in me or in another in a way that isn't conscious and consenting and healing i think this is such a such a key topic and and my you know my little sidetrack there where i was talking about that it is there is an innate energy in there i think it's important to recognize that we have this aspect of ourselves and it's like agree. it's that it's the classic proverb what wolf do you feed Right? It's not that you don't have this wolf. And, and if you've got this wolf, somebody else put this wolf in you. You have a wolf that likes to dominate, that likes to destroy, that likes to you know, oppress the feminine, which is all nature, which is other men, which is women itself. And this has gone way the fuck out of balance. And it yeah. also speaks to the lack of education on the other side. Right. If people are getting educated by porn, it's the most extreme example of the oppression and domination and you can even see it getting more and more extreme yeah you see so many porns that it's like fake taxi fake audition so it's not only it's like they're it's the absolute epitome of tricking deceiving pushing someone beyond where they want to go 
non-consent played out in this theatrical thing under the guise that it's not theatrical. I mean, of course, these things are, of course, people who get in the taxi know they're getting in the taxi and blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, like we're seeing this played out in this way, you know, sleeping attack or whatever fuck. Like there's a million different ways that this is being played out in our psyche to actually hit that nerve of eroticism that comes from this dark, dark, dark impulse that's within us. And if we continue to feed that, that will become ingrained and that will become conditioned. And if we don't feed the other side, we're going to become way out of balance ourselves as well. And so we have to put at least, you know, as much or more effort into the other side to even give ourselves a chance to right. overcome these things that are so so pervasive and so wildly right. fucking out of balance. Yeah. I mean, and, and also leading to not only in this little tiny microcosm of porn, but it starts to extend and bleed into the way that we operate 100%. in normal life as well. So it's a you're pointing to a very, very challenging and 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 a big issue that a lot of people aren't talking about, which is okay, yes, this has a pleasure button that's associated with it and that pleasure button is deep in our genetic coding however there's some buttons that we're not supposed to push unless two people are mutually pushing them and it's all giggles at the end and it's not actually like you can still push the button but not at the cost of someone else's pain and trauma and blood and there's ways to do this in in the light not in the shadow right. but right now it's just this massive we've put sex so far into the shadow that it's all entirely fucked up and of course the counter reactions of the me too movement and all of these different things they're touching on this anger and this rage of it but nonetheless it's still happening all the time and we're right. still in the quiet of our thing we might go support the you know this me too movement out there because we actually do believe that and this is the real world but then we'll go home and we'll watch our fake audition porn and we're still right we're still feeding the same fucking energy 100 anyways even though it was quote consensual but what is consent consent is on a spectrum you know it, of like these are a lot of times 18 19 20 year old girls are getting money dangled and getting pressure and it's it's this very interesting dynamic that I think we're like, ah, let's not look at that because 100%. I don't want to look at that because this is something that I enjoy, but we got to look at it. Again, it's that same fucking thing you talked about at the start. Look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it until you just can't, until, there's, until the tears come and you actually see yep. the truth of what's happening. And then, then that can start to rewire the different pattern of the divine masculine rather than the shadow masculine expression of sexuality and in the divine it doesn't mean you can't break out the ropes and the handcuffs right. and the floggers and whatever the fuck you want right. but it better be a goddamn sweet hug and a back rub and some laughs and some kisses and some fucking healing at the end of you right. pushing each other's buttons and it could be the man that's getting you know flogged or For whatever sure. it doesn't Fist matter we, we all have these buttons of submission and domination right. men and women can play it so I'm not saying don't push the buttons, but just push them not only with the barest amount of consent. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll do this, but like with full, right. full, enthusiastic, in the light consent of like, yeah, we're gonna get weird. We're gonna push some weird yep. buttons today, and these buttons are gonna be in our butt and in our throat and in our 
in our endocannabinoid system, which is going to get activated when the whip hits the skin and it's going to get wild. Are you ready? Let's go. Right. And always, here's this fucking safe word. If I feel this, you, you shouldn't even really need a fucking safe word. Just listen, you know, like listen the whole time, like be aware, you know, like don't get too caught up, but know that you could get drunk right. from the, from all of the different neurochemicals that are released. So good to have that communication. And there's a whole structure around this community, the BDSM community, which, and also the studies that have shown that they're more well-adjusted, that they're happier in general, that pushing these buttons is something that Jamie Wheel and I talked about. It can be a really important and exciting part of life, but it has to be done in ruthless awareness and absolute safety, absolute safety. And anything else, even if you're doing it in the quiet of your home on some tube site and you figure you're in your incognito window and it doesn't matter, you're feeding the fucking energy. either way so at least if you're going to do it and still do it like be aware that you're feeding a shadow expression which is harming the world because it's putting energy into this dark dark construct that is a big problem with what we're facing absolutely and my last point on this and kyle if you've got anything i I would love to hear is that for me in the same way where i'm just really beginning to wake up to uh the huge massive heaviness of like what we as a culture are doing to the earth and you can argue the particularities of that but we are clearly not in alignment from this most recent ayahuasca experience what it has shown me is the heaviness of like my addiction and that um how often it's not chosen consciously but it is literally an addict making up excuses to feed a sense of lack as opposed to it being a celebration of an experience with another and that the just really allowing myself to look at you know for 10 years like you were given a drug that your parents didn't even know that you were given and it was that fucking kazaa program on the old ass (laughs) i mesh right and and I found porn and I fucking felt how good it felt in my system. But for really probably for about 14 or 15 years, it wasn't until I was probably about 26 or 27 where I even got to the emotional development where I could start to even feed the other wolf. And so it's only been a couple of years where I've been able to feed that other wolf and then consciously dip into the quote unquote darker wolf in a way that is healing. Because like you said, everyone's got some trauma around sex. And if you can go into those places with a partner that you feel safe with, there's been weeping on the other side of it. There's been body trembling laughter on the other side of it. Uh, But for a long time, it was, you know, like it's the teenager jackhammer, you know, it's like I'm completely disassociated from the fact that you are a conscious creature and I'm, I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to do because I've watched trauma porn basically for 10 years. And so again, my long answer short is reckoning with that addiction and also feeling how pervasive I see it out in the world. Yeah, it's such an, such an important subject to cover. So appreciate you bringing that up because it's one that, you know, a lot of people listening might be nodding their head, but what are you going to do tonight? What are you going to do tomorrow? What right. are you going to do when your partner's out of town or like, well, speaking of no one's watching yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so it's it's interesting and no you know the key thing is not to if you start to pattern judgment and this right. radical self-judgment and shame and self-rejection 
that's not going to be the way you know because then you're just going to do it and look away and be like blah 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 i'm just going to do this uh, and you're not going to actually look at it long enough like if you do it just look at it and know the know what you're doing and do that you know do that it's like okay i realize what i'm doing i'm going to do it anyways and you know i still love myself and i'm going to continue to evaluate this choice yeah you know but but it's this these these kind of hard bounds of like i'm never going to do this and i won't like just pattern everything shame with, spiral. with yeah it's a shame spiral. pattern everything with more self-love more self-acceptance and that's actually going to be that loving of the feminine in yourself is going to be what allows you to love the feminine elsewhere if you're patterning that rejection shame whatever all of that's going to get compounded in you and want to have an outlet on somebody else so if you're in this process like go through it and start with radical acceptance of this of this and look and look the dark wolf inside and look at it and reckon with it all right kyle you got a you got a you got about 15 minutes here and i think eric and i might carry on and wrap this thing up but why don't you take us through both since uh since you're in a time limit why don't you take us both through something that you felt like has been really challenging for you in your articulation of the masculine and also something that you feel like has been exemplary in your articulation of the masculine hmm it might be the same you know same same uh same grappling match that i happen that happens as a father discipline i think is the first thing that comes to mind certainly with the shadow aspect of it and I, I grade myself at a higher standard, you know, um, not than most of you listening to this, just <laughs> I grade myself at a higher standard than my parents may have. And maybe that's oversimplifying it because they did such an, an exemplary job compared to their parents, compared to my right. grandparents. But um, I can recognize it so quickly if I overstep or if I, you know, we talked about rage aiming to destroy unclean anger containing blame and resentment aiming to hurt or harm clean anger aiming to resolve something i uh, i've learned and regurgitated many times from mary margrave but um when i'm not operating in clean anger looking for resolution in particular with my son bear it's it's st it sticks out to me like a sore thumb and there's been you know typically my father would express discipline through the physical occasionally mental emotional my mother mostly mental emotional guilt shame you know how could you disappointment things like that and occasionally she on the physical and i've seen this show up for me in different ways with my son at different stages um overdoing the physical or overdoing the mental emotional and uh i don't oftentimes recognize it as it happens but i know the second it's done if i cross the line and it's uh it's a benefit that i have the awareness that i do to be able to catch it so quickly and it's also a double-edged sword and that i don't catch it fast enough all the time hmm. you know so yeah i think i think you know the the hard look where i i can see my father come out or see my mother come out through me yeah uh in real time and and not always soon enough you know as my awareness has grown and i think the the practical aspect of that is as i have continued to work on myself in daily practices through moving my fucking energy out by lifting weights sauna meditation when i when i come as a clean instrument to the parenting game it's a softening aspect that happens then i'm able to receive and it doesn't mean there's not every single day something we're working on 
anyone who parents knows it's fucking constant, right? There's a, a funny meme that went out that Tosh sent me on the gram of um, a new prescription medication for parents called, uh, I need a fucking break. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Wait, isn't that called ketamine? Doesn't that, doesn't that exist? <laughs> yeah, ketamine's pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, any of these prescriptions can be crutches, as I can attest to, uh, and they don't solve the issues. So it is a matter of showing up, and um, there's no real pat on the back for doing it right. Uh, you know, that's... Um, it's it's beautiful to have the mirror that I do in Natasha to recognize, you know, when we're doing it right mm -hmm. and to see that in each other. And also to to help keep us accountable when we're off course. You know, or one of us is a little off center and haven't been able to tend our own gardens and that shows up in the way we communicate. Um, it's it's easy for one of us to step in for the other and say, Hey, I got this one. I, I get it. You know, let me take over from here and 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 work as a tandem as as parents um need to to be able to rely on one another but as far as the shadow aspects concerned there there are very few teachers in my life that hit me as hard in the heart that that does you know when i fuck up and cross the line um it's immediate and the the work that comes after that is self-forgiveness and that's fucking no easy task at all you know when i when i cross that line it's taken me days, if not weeks at times to come back to really being at center because you don't want to try to make up for it. You know, that I can, I, I remember all the fucking times where, yeah, you know, my parents overdid it. And then you just saw the flood of let's throw the football or let's do this or let's have cake tonight. And it's like, I know why you're fucking doing this, yeah. you know? And I could play it up and be like, okay, I'd, I'd like some cake, you know, and that kind of shit. But that doesn't solve anything. It never brought it back to zero, you know, right. and, and that's the balance that I am looking for. So it's not just a, how do I make up for this? But how can I first admit you can't I was cake wrong? A wound. Yeah. Yeah. Like first, let me, let me soften enough to recognize the situation for what it is and say that I'm sorry, this is what I did wrong and it won't happen again. Yeah. You know, and then more importantly than the apology you know dr mark chang talked about this um apologies are cool but we want behavior change more than anything if it's worth saying you're sorry then it's 10 times more worth changing the behavior mm. right so it doesn't happen again and um there's been a uh you know we're, we're our hardest inner critic but but i'm in a hardest inner judge and at the same time i'm my hardest accountability coach when it comes to that Mm -hmm. because there's no greater job um in my mind than how i raise my kids especially as i look out into the external and the collective right now and right. and we begin to understand these archetypes of masculinity and the shadow or expressions of those um to know that, that what i do with him is the seed that i've planted for the future yeah you know and if i can water and nourish that seed right now that beautiful expression will be the one that lives on in the future and, and has the ability to change beautiful brother thanks for diving in with us man yeah absolutely yeah. i love you guys love, love you too brother. man all right y'all take too. it home all right we will so for me i think you know one of the clear issues that i've struggled with on with the masculine is judgment man it's like the constant battle that i have and the nature of judgment is you cast judgment 
and this is not discretion. This is not awareness. This is initially coming up with usually a story-based, you know, concept that is that is guiding some way that you would think something should be different than it than it should and and saying i think uh you know charles eisenstein talks about it we even have words for it like inexcusable Mm. inexcusable as if like you did this and you were a bad person there's justifiable shitty things but you inexcusable you no forgiveness no forgiveness ever it's inexcusable unforgivable unforgivable is another word like this is pattern in this judgment paradigm and while maybe the most extreme aspects i've softened constantly judgment i find myself running up against it and i really resonated with you know ramdas when he went to maharaji and and maharaji said ramdas love everyone and he's like i can't i have too many judgments because when you have a judgment the punishment that you that you offer is the withdrawal of love so all of my self-judgments, withdrawal of love from mm. self, all of the micro-judgments I have towards Vailana or a partner, withdrawal of love, all of my judgments I have towards my friends, towards anybody, I'm just withdrawing myself from love because love is is bilateral, it's mutual. You can't you can't just you feel it, you know, when if you're not if you're not offering it, it you're not able to receive it, right? Like it's a two-way street you know if i'm withholding my love from vailana and she's trying to pour love on onto me i'm not gonna receive it like he has to be open that vibration has to be love resistant just flow off of you exactly and so i'll catch myself with all of these judgments of self judgments of other that's just holding me back from loving like really loving and so I think I'm doing some good in the world. I'm the I'm the adjudicator setting things right. No, I'm not. I'm not doing shit. Oh, I think I'm setting things right by withholding love for myself in the world. That's what's going to set things right. That's what we fucking need. More punishment, more judgment. And like, it hasn't worked <laughs> at all. So, but that's the myth of like the myth of punishment, the myth of yeah. withholding of love. We think if we just withhold enough, that'll help okay so withholding a little bit of love from my children or my spouse well that hasn't worked but if i withhold more love that'll work and you know what if that doesn't work i'm gonna withhold even more love and that'll for sure work like where does it fucking end yeah you know it does it's a it's a it's a wrong paradigm it doesn't work like love is the fertile soil upon which all things grow and evolve and it's the healing force in the world and so even if you do have discretion and even if you do put up a boundary even if you say look i can't talk to you you know parents like this is not healthy or, or we have to separate this isn't a healthy relationship you can love all the way up to that boundary and through the boundary you know you can just still energetically hold that love because that's the only thing that's ultimately going to heal even if you have to protect yourself you know i always talk about the rose you know the rose has the flower and the scent and then that it offers it for everybody but it still has thorns doesn't mean that the rose doesn't love you because it has thorns it's just holding the thorns so it doesn't get fucking trampled but it's always loving it's always giving its scent it doesn't say you're worthy you're not but i you know as i'm sure many people listening can resonate with like this is an aspect of the masculine that is out of balance that i'm trying to bring to the highest articulation that Absolutely. place of radical radical forgiveness radical acceptance you know the love that holds no record of wrong 
because it recognizes self in other at all times and it sees that there is always a reason that something is happening some delusion that they're lost in some way in which you know they're not seeing the reality forgive them for they know not what they do of course they know not what they do or they wouldn't do it if they recognize that they were hurting themselves they wouldn't fucking do it nobody would do it right you know like there's always a justification there is no such thing as unjustified inexcusable there's always something that's happening because Completely in the great. truth nobody would do anything that was harmful to another person so it's moving beyond this paradigm of judgment and this is no you know mild ambition this is right? this is big but yeah. this is what we talk about when we talk about christ consciousness the christed one i mean that was the level that as you know the myth says that's the level that he reached and in my own spiritual encounters with it that's the nature of it it's it's complete window into every aspect of your psyche and not a flinch of judgment no matter what you show and no matter what you offer just radical love radical acceptance and that is the the highest articulation of of what i'm working towards but still i get lost in yeah you know shadow patterns of judgment and a couple of things that come up for me is one as a brother who's been able to witness you one of your superpowers is you manifest shit and so if you feel into an ego that has gotten the feedback from the world oh the world actually will allow me to create the things that i want the things that i want must be in alignment and so what comes with that gift and that power is my judgments are a little bit better than other people's judgments, <laughs> you know? And that like, that's like the inherent cost of being given the gift by soul of if I dream it and I fucking go for it, it tends to be. And also what's interesting is one of the archetypical stories that feels like it exemplifies what the masculine is attempting to be. And again, if you can see the myth fresh and not bring all of your projections from the way it's echoed through culture, it's the story of Moses. And Moses is in the desert with his people for how long is it, 40 years? I don't know, 40 days, I think, but maybe I think that's that was Jesus. Jesus's, yeah. So, but for a long time, he was exiled without a home with his right. people. And what he did every day, was serve as a judge and he would listen to what the problems were that was happening in his tribe every day every day every day and eventually he has a peak moment he happens to see a flaming bush and that might be an allegory to them doing some type of interesting psychedelic medicine but he comes back with the laws with the commandments and the idea there is if you watch reality long enough and you listen long enough there's a spontaneous ordering effect that happens and it's the articulation of laws and those are rules and now what you do when a law is transgressed is mostly the shadow masculine in the way it's been shown to us but if you go away with what punishment you would give if the law is transgressed the act of manifesting a law feels like it's like that's the birth of culture is that like we looked at nature long enough to begin to create okay what rules should we try to play by to be in alignment? And we've gotten pretty far from being in alignment because we've got really good at understanding some of the good rules that allow us to make rocket ships and shit. But I just wanted to offer that myth as like a rooting that there is a core spiritual attempt by judgment to articulate like rainmaker rules, like rules that bring you into alignment. And um, 
The reason why that feels like such a hard thing for you personally is because of how much success you have had at, I judge that on it should be a motherfucking beast. Let's make it a beast. I mean, I think that's, uh, there's a, there's a languaging issue a little bit because I think part of that is, is discretion and, and, in, and insight and intuition and, and, and there carries no judgment. There was no way in which I withdrew love from my other ideas or whatever, what I mean by judgment is it's casting a it's casting a sentence and a sentence that that requires punishment rather yeah. than they you know another way that you use saying. the language of I judge this to be more beneficial or whatever but it, which is really discretion um, the casting of a sentence and the sentence involving the withdrawal of love I see. and ultimately I think what actually has allowed you know and while I I do see you know your point of of uh, it is a slippery slope between having discretion and being being confident that what I see is right and then adding judgment on top of that, right? So like my observation, I have, <clears throat> I've toned to have a lot of belief in my observation and a lot of belief in my fairness. And so it becomes really easy to be very self-righteous in my judgment exactly. because of that. And exactly, that's definitely yeah. the point that I think you're trying to make is when you have proven that your observation is fairly assesses reality and this is something that actually that i i pride myself on like i look at reality i understand fairness in a real way but judgment can slipperly like can go really slipperily he goes like oh if i pretend to be discernment i'll yeah, fucking yeah, get yeah. in here it'll it'll slide through the back door and then i'll start to withhold love for and cast the sentence for whatever i feel like is out of alignment and so the key thing is to i'm always going to be able to keep my observation skills you know and my knowing skills but can i see something and completely disagree with it and love beyond that without casting the sentence that this is wrong can someone say something to me that i know is fucked up or do something that i know is fucked up acknowledge that it's fucked up however still love not cast the sentence and my own punishment mechanism of the sentence which is the withdrawal of love and I think ultimately part of the, you know, part of the, I'm not like Spock, right? Like I haven't master planned on it, you know, but part of what's allowed me to succeed in so many things is the fact that probably I actually am more in accord with the higher ideals of continuing to forgive and love and be generous and be abundant. And that's really paid off from the founding of, you know, from the founding of on it when joe rogan was like yeah man if we're gonna do this i want half and i was like fuck all right you know like there was a certain aspect obviously i i thought that that might be good but there was an aspect of generosity and abundance that i was like all right yeah sure and he and then he paid that back to me at different times there's other junctures where things got out of alignment he poured that right back in and this was this kind of like abundance feeling that flowed and that that kind of flowed a, across even when somebody was out of accord and even when things were not quite right like i've certainly fallen in the path of judgment but being in the higher in that higher accord with some of these universal truths has actually probably been one of the strengths that's allowed us to get to this point you know where it just seems like the more i give yeah. and the more love i give the more abundance the universe gives back to me it's like as fast as i can give something away and sometimes it happens even in ridiculous in ridiculous ways like a friend will be like man you know i really need 
I could really use some help. You know, my mom got kicked out of her place and she needs a place to stay. And, uh, you know, like I really could use some help. Like, absolutely. Whatever you need, I got you. And I don't, I'm not asking for anything in return. Just I got you. And then like immediately some other, I'll get a phone call in like three hours like, hey, just want to let you know that this thing is, you got this abundance flowing and it'll be like double what I just gave away. And I'll be wow. like, really universe? Like it works that fast? Like that's quite a coincidence. But yeah. it, it's interesting how I've always felt this kind of accord with that. And I, I wonder then if I can transcend this self-righteousness that comes from this inflation of my idea that I am the master adjudicator, which my ego wants to believe that I yeah. see things fairly and I know. I'm Moses, dog. Yeah, exactly. If I can if I can transcend that and still understand that I'll have my awareness, but see beyond it, see deeper, see so far deeply that there is no room for judgment at all. The question is then what happens then? Because I feel like one of the reasons I am where I am is because I've gotten a fucking few steps down the path and maybe a few steps further down the path than some other people but i'm so fucking far away from anything approaching that christ consciousness articulation but what happens each step if i get closer what happens if i start to really follow and and really fulfill this yeah. this archetype who knows yeah man the thing that comes to mind is uh what if the rainmaker didn't need to sit in the hut for three days yeah. What if he walked into that motherfucking thing all the way there? Yeah. Like one of the things that I feel into that I know that I can't even grasp, but there's almost like an echo of it is it's like, <clears throat> I feel I'm at like 18% of whatever the thing is. And it's like, it already, I already have moments where truly the felt sense of experience is that nature and the nature in humans will sometimes bend or start to resonate, I think is a better way. Cause it's not bending to my desire. It's like, we're all starting to resonate in this way where God or spirit or whatever feels palpable in the room. And it might happen like once or twice a week or something. And I can feel, I can't even hold what it would be like if it was always like that, where it was mm -hmm. just God, whoa, just everywhere you go, like while you're trying to swing a mace or you're taking a shit or you're brushing your teeth, yeah. God is just godding through the mirror and the walls. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it's because uh, <laughs> we've all touched these states. We've all touched these states, and then it leaves a signature that maybe moves us from, like you said, 17 to 18% or wherever. And again, this is very much in this analytical masculine that's all nonsense anyway. It's just to give a map to even give an approximation. Yeah, but but ultimately, like making these incremental incremental steps, but is there a tipping point? You know, and, and I've felt like I've seen that tipping point. You know, I've told the story many times about the week I spent with Don Miguel Ruiz. I felt like no matter which situation I saw him in, he was godding. He was godding out. You know, he was just fully, he was fully there. And I, I know people who've spent time with Ramdas have said the same thing. People who've spent time with, you know, a lot of these great spiritual leaders and gurus in, in different ways. And guru is obviously a challenging word. I've spent time with gurus and felt nothing. But uh, but ultimately, like there are these special individuals where you just feel that they've reached a tipping point of something else in which the old way is the old way is no longer has any momentum. <clears throat> it's just like with the MAPS healing protocol, you know, where the MDMA assisted psychotherapy, three sessions you know, heal trauma in two out of three people, but for the people that it heals, the trauma score continues to go down 
year after year after year even without any more interventional therapy right mm. so it's like you reach a tipping point That's delicious data yeah you reach a tipping point where all of a sudden instead of retracement there's actually an acceleration yeah and uh yeah and that's the interesting spot you kind of it's the flywheel effect like you push you push you right. push you get closer you get closer and then all of a sudden the flywheel has momentum you're going from uphill cresting over the top and then it's a downhill ride and you're just you're really like gaining momentum yep. in these aspects and uh i wonder if that's a it seems intuitively correct that that would be a real yeah. place to get to how far up the hill do i have left who the fuck knows but it's not doesn't feel like it's that close but you never know like i don't think you're able to see the top where that point is going to take over you just have to keep pushing and keep having faith and keep trusting that if you keep pushing you know that flywheel up the up the top of the hill at some point you're going to hit the zenith and then when you hit the zenith momentum is going to start carrying you maybe or maybe it's just all uphill i don't know <laughs> the the metaphor that kind of opens up for me there is it's like it's how the sun moves through the sky is kind of like the path of the psyche potentially through a lifetime and uh the first half of life it's it's the ego consolidating itself and growing and getting stronger and bigger and then at noon at that zenith is when the ego is like i fucking made it and maybe you're 40. and then most people will stay at that well most people don't even make it to that developmental level like they have such a struggle even getting their ego to full i'm flexing on these bitches mode that they don't even get to do the next half of life um something that bill plotkins talks about is it's like most people will spend their entire life in the developmental adolescent stage and that's trying to get to noon but that what happens when you get to noon is that and this is plotkins model and i really resonate with it is that at noon your soul is like oh they're ready ready to fucking begin hollowing out the ego and making that hole in the middle of it larger and larger so more and more soul can come through and that the descent of life is the ego getting smaller and smaller as it gets closer to the um sunset which is like soul and that the people who are just always there it's like they're like 10% ego now like they have enough ego where they have mm. to fucking fix a car they can fix a car and they can fucking make the phone calls or do whatever but so much of their life is just like the breeze of soul just effortlessly coming through them and they're just whatever their thing is if their thing is to sit by a river and fucking fish and sometimes read poetry to their grandchildren they're just fucking in it you know and there's some people whose there's their soul costume was like I'm going to be a speaker to the world. You know, that's like a Ramdas. That's at least my like like the image that comes up for me is it's 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 so much of a hollowing of the thing that you've spent the first half of your line thinking, "Oh my god, I have to build Excalibur." But then once you defeat the dragon and really it's once you absorb the dragon into you blah blah blah, then it's like Merlin comes and it's like now you have to melt the sword. Mm. And it's going to take 40 years and it's going to hurt. Mm using the ramdas analogy is really powerful because you know you could imagine and i could of course talk to ragu about this and see if this this aligns with somebody who's been his dear friend uh for a long time but you could imagine that as this hollowing out was happening you know there was attachments to that his ego had to the 
prolific nature of his speaking. He was a master. It scares speaker. the fuck out of me, dude. He was a master orator. And then there was probably not much left that he could hollow out if he still was able to speak because he would there was still a certain joy up, from that and so the the stroke and the aphasia it took away this last shred of attachment to his ego which was his ability to prolifically speak it would take him minutes sometimes to say a word and and he was famous to say like okay great now since this i have to be even more in my heart and so he had to just focus more on his being. And no one has ever said that after that, he was less of a force. I mean, we've heard East Forest tell the story about how they just sat across from each other for tens of minutes, an hour, however long it was when they first met post-stroke. And Ramdas, the energy was just thick and vibrating in that way that you described. And then he just said, slowly, you know, just this just this and that carried as much as in the presence of that energy that carried as much as the most prolific speech he could have given and if it wasn't for the stroke maybe he would have started talking earlier maybe he would have used these words these clumsy approximations of an idea which can carry resonance of course but he would have used them instead of just purely the expression of his being which was the last hollowing before he crossed the threshold as an empty vessel as a pure divine being in 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 the purest senses that can be not that pure is better than not pure but like in the highest articulation so it's really it's really a beautiful model that plotkin offers and uh and i'm excited to read that book and hopefully get him uh get him around this table to have this conversation because that that really makes sense and if you're able to achieve that zenith i think the momentum and you start to understand it as i was saying i think the momentum to the hollowing will be supported by the universe in a way right that will help you continue to release and let go and i think the prayer is um maybe this is just my own desire prayer but like be aware before the universe has to act you know what i mean like if i'm too attached to my body like let's not make the universe have me blow out an achilles tendon right like let's let's uh let's listen in advance and and take whatever steps are necessary to internally release my attachments because it's not about the thing right like so you could imagine that if ramdas was just made the decision and of course is purely hypothetical and i understand there's shit that happens i'm not saying that everybody's at fault for their own conditions and whatever but you could imagine a, a story in which if Ramdas would have intentionally recognized that he still had an attachment to speech and intentionally said, I'm not going to speak for a year or I'm going to use far fewer words and just be in the presence and not rely on this thing that I had, that maybe that wouldn't have happened. If you're under the, if you're under the, you know, the construct in which the soul is actually informing what's happening in the body you could imagine that that maybe that wouldn't have been the case who the fuck knows but it's i think it's a beautiful model to have like listen you know like i know that when i got in my car accident it's because i wasn't listening to the voices saying that you need to stop taking care of people and you need to allow yourself to be taken care of 
and you're way out of alignment yep so i feel like my soul at that point shut off the lights accelerated me into the guardrail i smashed up my face and then all of a sudden yep. my partner whitney and all my paramours and everybody rallied behind me they all got along and they all took care of me for like two weeks but i still can't feel part of my face and my tooth is black and that's a horrible way to learn that lesson i yeah. learned it but like I, if i would have been able to learn it before i don't think that would have happened so yeah. i can speak from my own perspective to say like really do a do an examination of of what if and it's not time for you to let go of everything right. but do an examination of where you're at and what you might still be holding on to especially if and you're that's a part of the across descent, the zenith right? yeah and a thing that comes up that just fuck like once you started to go down this ramdas idea like the feeling is a mixture of like awe and horror when I really connect to like, um, beware of the stories that you choose to accept as your story. Because I was watching his documentary, Becoming Nobody, a couple of days ago. And in that documentary, and I've heard it in his other lectures, but like when he was in his 30s and his 40s, one of his most constant reframes was, I wanted to get out of my body. I wanted to get out of my body. And that maybe his soul's calling, that it wasn't um, a repercussion, but maybe his soul on some level, like a part of that arc was, you will be someone who can heal without having a body or who can help without having a body or will, who, who is here to show people that they're not their body. Like that actually might've been his soul name or his soul dance. Mm. And that it was his obsession in his 40s to do everything he could to get out of his body and he quote unquote failed. And so may, uh, and when I heard this on the on the documentary I'm like fuck the stories that we believe can have such a massive weaving in how our life plays out that the stroke might have actually have been the reward that he mm. failed in his 40s at getting out of his body. He failed in his 50s getting out of his body. And so like the beautiful thing is we don't fucking know and that both of our intuitions might be offering unique stories that we that our egos need to listen to because we know that yeah you know and um it's also the testament of how healing it is to allow your journey to be public you know and like not everyone is called to do that and like i know that i was afraid to do that for a long time and you were part of the call for me to do that but like ram das he gave us a full arc that we as humans can look to and be like, wow, there's a lot there that can be taught. And th there are so many beautiful examples that stayed in caves, you know? Yeah. And it's it's just a part of like, I'm just so grateful to him for doing it openly and recording as much as he did. What's, in, what's interesting is I feel, I can feel the universe kind of speaking a little bit more bluntly like it, this is a really big transition point for me in my life you know and i think it's no accident he said oh, i don't know maybe around 40 <laughs> i know i know your games i wasn't thinking I, about I that. your games God's <laughs> yeah. but like it this feels like a point where this is the zenith you know on it just sold i admit the you know obviously there's a that was not conscious and now it's i'm starting to blow my own mind yeah so but like this is the this is the point and i've also 
I was initiated by the Siri elder into the into the medicine path and I've been in you know in the apprenticeship with Parangi about the medicine that I'm unlocking my own gifts on the spiritual side and also being rewarded with by the universe with this massive abundance and as you know as I felt as I was going through the the fit for service summit I was just reaching new levels of my potential and that was reflected back it just was effortless you know it was effortlessly moving through me you know, I think uh, the video that we released this past week was just me speaking off the cuff. And, you know, it was just, I could feel that, like the resonance that I felt, there was no pushing, there was no striving. It was just, it, there was something else that's coming through. So with this happening, this week in particular, which was the point where we announced <laughs> the sale of on it, all kinds of interesting things have happened. And I've been like, what the fuck is going on? For one, so I have we have like a little gas fireplace in our an automatic gas fireplace in our bedroom. Somehow some inner deep sanctum warning alarm went off the day that we were going to announce at like six in the morning. And I was like, or even early 5:30 or something like that. And it was unturnoffable. And so like I was like brought out of my sleep. And sleep is something that's like really that's how precious. You started to me. the day yeah. with a fucking alarm. Yeah. Wow. So it's like this little warning alarm thing. And and like I was trying to like fucking figure it out and I couldn't figure it out. So I was like up and I was like a little bit frustrated. Like, what the fuck? Of all the days, I've been in this house seven years. This has never happened. And some valve, and it was, you know, a helpful warning, some valve had broken and whatever. There wasn't gas leaking, but it was not, it was a situation that it needed to let me know. But why in the middle of that night? And then my house alarm started doing the same shit. Radio modem failure fucking going off. And I was like, what the? And that was when I was going to take a nap. And I was like, what the fuck? And then like I go and I go and I do, I go out and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to get a lift in. And I was like, ah, I haven't really lifted hard. Let me go bench press. And I load up 275 and I pull muscle in my subs cap. And I'm like, fucking hell. And what, like, I feel now looking back with this conversation in mind, the universe is asking me to release my attachments to certain things already. Like, okay, you're attached to sleeping? You think this is really important? Why? Well, because you're afraid of getting sick. You're afraid of not performing. Okay, we're going to take this sleep from you just for a little bit, just a little warning shot, just to let you know that you're far too attached because. I got emotionally worked up about this. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, well, I guess I'm not sleeping today. I didn't have peaceful acceptance of that reality. I was like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. You know, I was like pulling wires and like, can I destroy it? Like, and what is, can I do? Is it a slight anticipation of that that equals being sick and that's the big like black hole for you? Yeah, the sleep thing is definitely tied to me being sick. Perfect. So this is like, I must get over my fear of sickness, which is tied to my fear of not being productive which is tied to my fear of not contributing enough to the world which is tied to my feeling that i've been given all these gifts and i owe the world and all of these different things it's this long string that needs to be huge tapestry with one dangling thread yeah, and it's exactly. an alarm and the universe theory. is like just pulling at it enough to create tension down the whole line yeah and then with this bench press thing i don't need to be fucking bench pressing i know that that is not a good exercise it is not it's just not and especially not at super heavy weights. Like, there's no no point. warm up and no workout What's, in two so weeks. So, what is the reason for that? Ego. Instagram, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. 
A hundred percent. That was the reason is I wanted to prove to myself and prove to the Instagram world and prove to everybody that I could still rep out 275. Well, no warm up, bitch. <laughs> I did warm up, okay, but cool. nonetheless, like there's no reason for that. And the universe is like, okay, and maybe you can let this go too, bud. Yeah. Like maybe you can let go this idea of the size of your pecs equating to some self-validation you have. And if I, I think the deep calling is to just start listening like really really listening yeah and uh and that's again this is a sacred masculine podcast but what i need to do is also really articulate that balance of the feminine of really listening and letting go right and it's the masculine that can look at really what you are being called to at least in plotkin's model that deeply resonates with me is it's like you've now created hercules congratulations now the rest of the path is killing Hercules so you can become the god behind Hercules. Yeah. But you have to now start, like, it took you that long to make Hercules. It's going to, like, you got to... and Start easily, gracefully letting go of right. all of these different things that are, that are out of alignment with that. And yep. it's almost like the alarm was the, like... Ding, yeah ding, and and what do you think ding. this is a is this a coincidence this happens at the absolute zenith of my entrepreneurial career at the place you know my have, answer doc yeah i mean what what are the i mean of course you could say oh yeah the people who don't believe in a in a paradigm in which there is you know some guidance from our souls and from the universe and from you know objects that are non-sentient like the alarm system people could say oh it's just random okay really fucking random that the only time this happened out of any day was the day that i was <laughs> announcing this kind of pinnacle of one aspect of of the ego game you uh, yeah, fucking exactly. won the ego game and like that's the thing that plotkins talks about is like in order to fully bring soul through you you have to win the ego game like whatever your ego game is that you started playing when you were 18 you gotta go win that shit in order to even fully be called into the next stage of life and that most people don't even get to noon and he says that one of the biggest he believes the single most important thing that we can do to save the planet is to bring as many adolescents into adulthood and that there's almost no adults it's almost all adolescents and that an adult is someone who has had one or more revelatory experiences of their soul, what he calls your mythopoetic identity, because you can't fully directly apprehend soul. It's almost like it has to be through symbol. You've developed at least one craft that allows you to bring your soul into the world and that you've gotten good enough at the craft where the craft is of service and that the whole other half of your life is just deepening the roots of how much you can connect a soul, extending the branches of how good you are at the craft, and then just making more fruit, which is how much it's of service. And that, um, but in order to do that, like his model is just like, it's like two to three years of hell. And what's really heavy is one of the things he talks about is he's like, everyone who I teach this to, you know, if, I, if we use the metaphor of the butter, of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, almost everyone that I teach, they think that they've gone through the cocoon of becoming a butterfly. And almost none of them have. They've gone through moltings, that a caterpillar molts, where it completely comes out of its old skin and it's now larger. And to the caterpillar, that feels like, I'm a butterfly. Mm. No, you've been molting as the sun has been going towards its zenith. And now 
there's the cocoon stage. In the cocoon stage, you completely die. You don't grow out of what you were into something larger. You fucking, you become goo and you're not a caterpillar. And you're in that goo stage for a while. Let me come a butterfly, except. So when I read his shit, there's a part of me that's having like an existential crisis. Like, oh my God, I thought I'm a butter. I, I'm probably just a fat ass caterpillar <laughs> right now. Oh my God. So. Well. Maybe here's to the fat caterpillars as well, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I guess the prayer is for that the awareness, bringing more grace, being uh, making the making the universe have to conspire less aggressively and violently in our favor, and may we uh, may right. we make this may we make this process in the chrysalis as graceful as possible through our own intention and through our own awareness. Right, and I think to bring this all the way back to the masculine part of this is the it's to look at the call and to say yes. Oh, oh! It seems like also uh, as we're talking about this, um, you know, we're going to be re-releasing "Go for Your Win," and uh, for people who are interested in you know figuring out how to get to the point where you can actually offer your gift to the world your ego game what your win is this is a, a great right. guidebook of you know dawn dawn to the zenith and mm -hmm. talks a little bit about the other side but uh, i don't think i was in any place when i wrote this to actually talk about the other side but i understood you know the principles and we've continued to revise it of you know what happens from sunrise sunrise to get you to noon and how do you Amen. do this in the most effective way so everybody keep a lookout for that we'll be launching that again soon and um and also too i mean if you want to dive deeper with us into this sacred masculine journey um trimester two fit for service fellowship we're going for it we're yeah. bringing uh we're bringing everything we got and it's been so such a pleasure to be with every new class that's come through yeah. and get to obviously be with you and kyle and caitlin and now vilana and all the master coaches we bring in and um it's just been really one of my life's great honors and pleasures to be truly able to mine do that. too and this is going to be a this is going to be a powerful one i mean this the force of the of the divine masculine is we're going to be fucking bringing it and we brought it for the feminine and uh and this one i'm really excited to see where this where this goes because this is an edge this is an edge that we're all we're all up against yeah and, uh, and let's see what we let's see what we can all manifest together and the beautiful thing is uh each it's almost like there's a magical spell that's created that whatever the intention of the trimester or semester that we're doing for fit for service mirrors what happens in my personal life i know me too it's fucking wild that, the year we did here this journey that was the most fucking crazy because every month was a different thing <laughs> it was like we were dealing with it it's like jesus we need to watch out <laughs> what spells we cast like a major life thing every month i'm exhausted <laughs> yeah 2022 play all the time <laughs> bitches the power of play one full year <laughs> yeah. yeah totally um for anybody interested aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service and uh and check it out app apply we got a big wait list but um you know always the right people find their way in so if you feel called to this please apply we'd love to see you and, and give you some big kyle taught informed hugs and uh and welcome you into uh into the community brother Amen. it's a pleasure as always my man um you got some other things you got a podcast you got uh you got some other shit going on you got a journaling course 
Tell people yep. about some stuff that you got going on. Uh, my Instagram is my name, Eric Godsey. My website is my name, Eric Godsey. I have a journaling course on there. Hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll actually have a new thing coming out called the Dharma Journal, which I put people through a week of guided meditations to essentially help them connect to their soul or their daemon and create an inner cathedral. It's dramatic. And then you get to learn how Weird. to Weird. Make- you did something dramatic? <laughs> I'm surprised, bro. Accept. <laughs> Accepted. Um, yeah, and hopefully that'll be ready to go and that'll be on the website too. And then for those of you who don't know Eric outside of these podcasts, the podcast is the only time that he doesn't lob <laughs> atrocious puns <laughs> through a conversation. You must you must get out of here and have pun Tourette's where you're just walking around just muttering to yourself. Because you know, you hold it together on these podcasts and you don't even you don't you don't I wish subject the audience. I wish that Musk has come out with Neuralink and I could have a scoreboard above my head during the podcast so you all could see my divine masculine restraint that just happened for the last hour and 40 minutes like it's probably 37 ding yes yeah so you're welcome uh love you brother and love all you guys thanks for tuning in thanks for tuning into this podcast with Eric and Kyle Eric has a podcast called the myths that make us Kyle has an eponymous podcast, which means it's named after himself. So check out the Kyle Kingsbury podcast as well. And of course, if anything that we talked about really resonated and you're interested in checking out the Fit for Service Fellowship, we might have a little space left for the Divine Masculine second trimester. We're going to be going to North Carolina. It's going to be pretty fucking epic. So if you want to get your applications in, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service and we'll see if we can get you in this time if not we're heading to sedona for trimester three so you can get your applications in for that and that's going to be the union between the masculine and feminine creating the internal rebus look up rebus if you don't know what that word is either (laughs) r-e-b-i-s i love you guys see you next week